Hey, welcome to the Church Explained podcast, a conversation to grow your leadership and build your church. Today, we're excited because we have a very special guest. We have Scott Wilson with us the whole way from Denmark. So Scott, welcome to the show today. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. So um, normally it's uh, myself and Nathan who helps to host this podcast, but he's um, snoozing somewhere, I think, probably on a beach somewhere. But you've got me, which is the better half of the podcast. So just (laughs) make people aware of that. So, hey, Scott, let me just say a little bit about you so people know who you are, and then you can just share a little bit about yourself as well. So you've been based in Denmark for over 20 years. You're involved in leadership consultant and coaching within churches. You're also head up um, EuroLead, which is a group of churches across, a network of churches really across Europe, which you help steer that and input into that. You also have set up your own uh, company called ICLM, which we're going to find out a little bit about in a moment. But really, we want to talk about today about growth church growth and leadership growth as well, because they're both connected. And this podcast is really all about how can we help churches grow and move forward in what they're doing. So Scott, great to have you, as we've said. Uh, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and how things are with you at the minute in Denmark? All right, mate. Um, very quickly, born in New Zealand, moved to Australia. I class myself as an Australian very early in life. Uh, went uh, involved, Got involved quickly with church planting. Uh, in Melbourne, actually, and then we moved further up, four hours north of Melbourne by car, and we started our own church there, then started a second church in a smaller community. Many months ago, actually, when the um, COVID thing hit, sorry, the fires hit, uh, uh, to say that right, in Australia, they had a town called Malakuta, where the fires had pushed the people to the edge of the sea, and they were getting into boats to get away. It was on national news everywhere. You probably saw it. Yeah, yeah. That's where we planted our second church there. Probably burnt down now. I don't know. Somebody else is running it. But um, then we moved to Melbourne, back back to Melbourne. We took on a Bible college. Well, it was really a pioneer work. Uh, we were there for 10 years and built it up to one of probably Australia's largest Bible colleges then. Now there are others that are a lot bigger. Um, so 25 years ago from there we moved to Europe but based in Denmark, um, and we need to get that right. Our base is Denmark, yeah. but our coverage is Europe, and yeah. uh, everyone has to live somewhere pretty much. So my wife and I joined the Pentecostal movement there in the Bible College. I became the academic dean and did some work for them for about four years. Uh, she was on staff there as well. We then um, I went out into this work I do now a good 20 years ago, which is full-time helping pastors and leaders build a great church and get the systems and the structures and the stuff right when they plant the church so they don't have to go back in five years and start all over. And that's super important because it saves a lot of time and energy if we can get that right. Um, We then, uh, she stayed working in the college for a while, then she planted her own church and uh, still doing that today. Um, I've been basically doing this since then. It's just grown and got bigger. Uh, We have two children and we have three grandchildren, which is Fantastic. So life is is good. Denmark is doing well. We've got no restrictions. Everything's up and running. In fact, every country is open to travel to. Um, Masks are gone. Social distancing in church is gone. They are just coping with what it is, more like a a flu type thing now, if you like, um, if that's the right word. But uh, So it's really good here. But 
that does affect travel. For me, I've got to be over on a, on a plane somewhere. So I start on Saturday again, wow. and I'm hoping I can get on the road pretty quickly all the, all the way through winter. Hey, you must be excited about that because, as you say, it's been a while yeah. since you've been travelling. And, of course, a lot of your ministry, as you say, is travelling to other churches. You've worked with some uh, larger churches as well and different size of churches. T- tell us a little bit, Scott, about uh, ICLM um, for people who don't know what that is. I started ICLM. ICLM stands for Institute of Creativity, Leadership and Management. And I started that, and that name has particular uh, import as well. I started that about uh, 25 years ago. Wow. The idea of leadership and management, uh, Institute, of, uh, Institute of Creativity, Leadership and Management is a dual wing idea. Leadership's in the middle, creativity's on to the left side, and management's on the right. They're both equals. A leader to be successful has to be very creative. Vision is creative. Getting vision is creative. Uh, working with vision. Working with creatives as we do today, you need to be understanding the creative world. That would be a a, a foregone conclusion. However, at the same time, on the other side, leaders need to be great at the management or keeping things running along the systems and so forth. Drop either of those two and leadership can struggle. So the name itself has some import to it by definition. And that's what I do when I travel. Uh, I work with those two things together as a leader is trying to build his church. Brilliant. So, hey, let, let's talk about church growth because obviously we're coming out of a, a pandemic. Uh, lots of people are thinking about church growth as always. And we want to try and think of what, what are the, some of the main growth factors that you notice within the church that churches need to be thinking about at this time as well um, going forward? Yeah, and it has sort of, I think that the, the words remain the same but the reflections on those words are now different. Let's take, for example, a key one today that I hear just about every day of my life now is discipleship or discipling others. What we've discovered, I think, in the last 18 months is possibly churches were doing a good job in the context they were in, but have discovered through this 18 months it wasn't good enough, if that makes sense. And so many churches and leaders now are revisiting what discipleship means. Now, the thing about this is as you boil it down, for me, is it's you can have what's called informal and formal approaches, uh, formal being the normal thing, you know, the step system or you come to a course or you go away on a retreat. These are very formal things. Um, then you have informal, which is having a coach or a mentor or somebody helps you, a friend that comes alongside. So you have these two things running at the same time. I think what we've discovered is that actually discipleship now is really about the heart of the person we're discipling. It is really problematic to have somebody you put in over as a mentor of somebody, but they have no heart to be discipled. They have no desire. So what we have to do is go back now to the process of how to, not how do we make disciples, but rather what's our starting point with making a disciple? What's their attitude like towards leadership and discipleship? Do they want it? Do they want it in their life? Do they want to grow? So that then goes back pretty much to the salvation moment and how uh, that is um, delivered to them or accepted by them, if you like. If the salvation moment is a little bit too uh, fluffy, not clear, um, then you get fluffy Christians, to be Mm. honest. So we're really investigating all of this now, and I think that's a huge uh, it has huge implications for growth right now. And some of the churches I work with, if not many, have lost some of their key disciples or key team leaders during this time 
They never thought it would be possible to do so, but for many reasons they've just dropped out of the race for whatever that may be. So um, discipleship is definitely on the agenda, but in a different way. So, so let's just open that up a little bit. So it, what way do you think that is? I mean, has it been more formal in structure before? Do you think it's become a more informal? What, what's your thoughts as you're working with churches and leaders? Well, my encouragement is don't, don't drop anything you've been doing. Okay. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Maybe you tweak some things and re-examine them. The danger is to drop everything and try and rebuild from scratch. And, and unfortunately, that is going to be time-consuming and you probably won't get it right again. So keep doing with what you're doing. But I think what we have to do is be a little harder with our questions, a little uh, – I was thinking about this the other day – you know, um, if you're developing a leader today, you you talk about all the skill sets they need and stuff. But actually, there's one ingredient that we have to train leaders in today, especially pastors, yeah. and that is the ability to fight. And I mean, not fight physically. Paul doesn't talk about the fight. He talks about the good fight of faith. And he talks yeah. about, I don't wave my hands in the air just with no reason. And when you examine this idea, fight allows you to carry weight and weight allows you to fight. So I think we have to go back to the disciple that learns to fight. And I think we've learned some things in this life that uh, during this time that many discipleship ideas and concepts haven't added that. Now, I'm doing it in broad stroke of the yeah, brush yeah. idea, but yeah. you get my point. We have to build this Teflon coating within people, this this ability to be a true disciple. If you look what's going on in Afghanistan right now, which is horrendous in my opinion, um, especially with Christians and, and, and for that matter, actually just women, um, you, you know, the fight for your spiritual life and who you are completely different to ours, but they have learned to fight. And we're finding now some people just can't get out of bed in the morning. Just don't want to. Oh, church. Well, some, I don't know. This is not, good discipleship is it so i think it's that inner quality of learning to fight as a disciple in the right sense paul writes about it as you know quite well in the new testament so that's where we start pretty much so so it goes back to that decision moment as you're saying you know that needs to be right when people you know come to faith and if not then that can impact the rest of their journey really kind of but so there is a lot of talk these days and a lot of churches are I suppose what I've picked up, a lot of churches are setting aside a lot of what they were doing. Um, you know, some are saying, well, we're not going to do Sunday services anymore. We're just going to do yeah. more sort of, if I use the, the phrase, cafe church or connections. Yeah. Uh, wh- wh- what's your thinking on that? Because I, you know, that shocks me a little bit. I can see the reasoning mm-hmm. behind it. But, but what's your thoughts? As you're working with churches, what is it you're picking up? Well, that one is a good point you make because that's true things are morphing into something else Mm. um and i can't speak for an individual church i can only speak in general terms of what you've said and i sort of do get why churches are changing slightly what they do because they don't have the teams available and resources are limited some of them lost their buildings in fact yeah so there's a lot of things around that question as to why you make change and that's the important thing is to not to say we're changing because well you know this new normal that's not good enough it has to be out of something that's causing you to change but fundamentally for me I think the big challenge that we've seen uh, during COVID time and will in the future again I'm sure is the issue of gathering together yeah it's an acts two statement it's an acts two 
It's a church. It's about our. Ch- it's about church and what it fundamentally is. We cannot be a church without gathering. Yeah. And Zoom meetings will not do it. It can supplement, but it will not. There's no such thing as an online online church. For me, that doesn't exist. Why? Because the Acts two gathering together, eating together, being together, cannot work. Well, we can have a coffee over Zoom. Yeah, radio. We've done eighteen months of that. We know what that's like. We do need to be gathering whatever that looks like. Actually, I've been on to some friends in Australia with their lockdown right now, and they're so strong on this. Right or wrong, guys, they are actually having underground church meetings right now as we talk. They are sneaking out, going down, and having underground church because they feel this is violates the Acts 2 thing. Okay. And I think to myself, tell a persecuted Christian in a persecuted country you can't meet together, and they'll look at Look at you straight. Tell them they can do it over Zoom. They'll say, don't even, not interested. Yeah. There is something innate in us to gather. Now, this is what I'm, to answer your question would be, if there's gathering and lots of it and plenty of it, then the form and structure, as long as the cafe thing doesn't lose its basic elements of church life, worship, uh, prayer, uh, scripture reading and, and preaching and so on, then that can be good for a while. But gathering is the key one. If you're yeah. going to do that over Zoom and try and do it in distance or smaller groups, you might miss out, I think, on the essential ingredient of what church is. That's my way of looking at yeah. it. So, so better to be together, of course, in, in physical proximity. Exactly. Because that's where we rub off exactly. one another, isn't it? That's where true discipleship happens Absolutely. as well. Okay, so yep. let's, let's try and think of some of the things then. For you then, um, trying to think of your work with churches and leaders, um, like if a, there's a church listening to this, or a pastor listening to this, and they're thinking, well, I want to really get my church to the next level. I want to grow. You know, yep. what, what would your advice be to them? Without knowing them, there's got to be some general principles you would say, you need to be thinking about this. What would those be for you then? Yeah, good question too. Uh, book of Acts is always a great book to read through again, isn't it, about yeah. church growth because it starts with a few and it ends up with cities being one. What I notice about the book of Acts is it doesn't tell us much about what they did. It tells us a lot about what they overcame. Okay. And they overcame bumps in the road. There were various bumps in the road. Acts 6 is a classic example. Hey, the Hellenists uh, are starving, starving, hungry. That's a huge issue for anyone. And that's not they didn't miss lunch. That is they had nothing. What did the, the response to the apostles were amazing in that time. They said, we're not leaving the ministry of the word and prayer to serve on tables. Meaning, did they really care? I mean, in the Jesus model, you'd say, I give up everything and go and serve all my sheep and feed them all. Um, They actually said, form a new structure around this and pick people out. It's the first case, actually, of the church inventing its own unique structure. Previous to this, the church followed the synagogues. Eldership came from the synagogues. It's not a church perception or biblical view. It just happened to exist. But Acts 6 is the first time they solved the problem through a structural change. And so if you read Acts, you read all these uh, these stories of bumps in the road, right up to Acts 15 and 16 where there was a huge split in alley in Jerusalem about the pagans coming in or heathen coming in. So read Acts, Acts all the way through on that one and you see a great story of growth. The second thing I think I would say to you guys out there listening now is you've got two elements fundamentally boiled down to make the source of church. One is called atmosphere, the presence of God, and how that is feeling. And the second is the data or the information you know about what's going on in the church. If either of those two are not worked on and are a little low, you do struggle, whatever you do, to build church. So let's look at atmosphere making sure there's plenty of Holy Spirit meetings, 
opportunity for the spirit to be expressed. And I, I think I take up with you what you said. A lot of churches have changed what they're doing and they've leaned right over one way now to something and they're going full steam ahead on some spiritualistic program when they didn't probably need to. They just need to tweak the yeah. spiritualistic to get that feeling and atmosphere. Atmosphere is really important. Work on that one. The second is data and data's changed. In fact, in COVID now, the only data you could really know where the church was at, there's only one number you could know, and that was the uh, finances because salvations had changed. Uh, Zoom didn't give us an apple. It gave us an apple with orange comparison. You know, before that we were measuring different things. So yeah. your data, and you've got to ask yourself, what's, what, are, what is the data I'm looking at? Now, anybody that chucks out data, it's like going to a doctor who says, I feel good about you, rather than here's the list of numbers from your blood test. It's silly to say, I don't believe in data. I just go by the feelings or yeah. the atmosphere. That's not acceptable. Even the early church and the Holy Spirit recorded data. There were 3,000 added to the church. There were 5,000 men added to the church. That's the start of Acts. So they recorded data, and we need to have both those strong at the same time. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's very good because I think a lot of churches will either focus on one or they focus on the mm. other. And I think to have mm -hmm. those two elements there really does make a difference, I feel, to help churches grow. You know, you need that atmosphere. But but mm. if you ignore the information that's in front of you, then that's not that's a killer as well, really, isn't it? So that's... That, that's some of the things we need to pay attention to. What are some of the things then do you think, Scott, are the sort of blockages to church growth? I mean, that may be some of them as well, but what are some of the blockages, do you think? Yeah, there's a lot of levels on this question, to yeah. be fair. Um, there's the standard ones we're facing now. Then you get a whole lot of biblical ones you could refer to and so on. Um, what I think I might do is just zone in on some of the – and, and then there's the general blockages, yeah. you know, the third level is just stuff that churches experience everywhere at any time. Um, right now, I think one of the blockages to growth is probably trying to get our teams back on full bore again uh, to functionality. It seems to me we've lost a few, as I look around Europe we're, and beyond, we've lost a few team members here and there. So one pastor rang me, he's got a multi-site church and, and he said, we are, government allowed us to open up the Sunday. We only got a few days to do it. In those few days, my four, my three service pastors resigned in one location. Wow. Now, wow. what do you do with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's tough to lose a service pastor when you want to open up. It's time to open up. So I think gathering team is one of the things that could cause us a little blockage. And this is where sometimes key volunteers and staff need to step up a little more and fill the space, even though they've already been stepping up uh, a lot during COVID, there needs to be that more on, on present, on here, I'll fill the gaps because um, that one can be a real blockage to growth. You can't get the data in, you can't get the thing looking good and the way you want it and so on. I think the second one that's a blockage to growth is probably the issue of um, thinking growth is something I do. Okay. I make something grow. Now, Paul is very clear on this in Acts chapter 3. The seed has the genius of growth. You put the seed into the ground and it will grow. There's something in the seed that when it connects to temperature, moisture, and the right conditions, it grows. It starts growing. What is it in that seed packet when you buy a bag of carrot yeah, seed yeah, and, yeah. and you look at it? What's in that seed thing? There's something You cut it open with a knife, you can't see a thing. But put the right, so actually our jobs in growth is to provide the right conditions rather than, and which then, 
facilitates the seed to grow okay. rather than thinking we are growing something. Yeah. So, so, so that's, you know, that, put, I put... Yeah, on. I was just, just open that up a little bit then because then if people are, are, are listening and thinking, well, what, well what, what is that seed? Without being the most obvious thing is the Word of God, we would think that's the Word of God. But what, what else is that yeah. seed? Because we're talking about atmosphere. What else yeah. is there in there that people have to pay attention to to, to make that growth? Yeah, great, great um, reflection on that because the seed, you're right, scripturally we look at the, uh, the concept of uh, seed being the word of God and that's that is fundamentally right. In this case, Paul was talking to the Corinthian church and he was talking about the idea of the organisation or the church itself. Actually, the seed is the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. In other words, it's going to keep going when we're here or not. It'll just, it'll just keep going. Why? Because it is the seed itself. So, Fundamentally, the church is the seed. Okay. Give it the right conditions in the right moment, and that seed will grow. It's like that's why we call it church planting, yeah. because we're taking the seed of genius. When when Jesus said, "I will, I will build my church," that was the creative word went out there. Um, yeah. It was nobody knew what ecclesia was. Uh, they'd never heard of it. They gathered together ones. What's that? And he just threw it out there, and it, bang! In a moment, we have. The idea of the seed. Now, the right can put, I, it says in First Corinthians 3, I planted Apollos watered and so on. Uh, right there, you see what they did was they worked on the conditions being right for the seed to germinate. And I think what we've got to do to make sure we don't have blockages is have we got the right conditions? Now, the right conditions are always the skill sets of people, the gift sets of people, the right conditions are atmosphere we talked about. The right conditions are, are, are fixing conflict, not having any conflict, but fixing conflict quickly because the second time Jesus used the word church, it was related to conflict. Um, wherever there's a conflict uh, or a problem, uh, you know, do face-to-face -face, uh, with a witness, take it to the church and so on. So that was the second time he used the word church. So he says solve conflicts. And so I think it's about conditions rather than, than saying I'm going to grow this. I don't think anybody can grow a thing. I think what we can do is release the power of the genius of the seed called the church brilliant. And, and just get the conditions around it really right. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's brilliant, actually, Scott. I really like that idea of because that takes the pressure of in one sense of it's our responsibility to grow the thing. We've just got to yeah. focus on what are the conditions. I like that idea. Let's just pick up a little bit on that of uh, dealing with conflict because obviously uh, just chatting around with leaders, like leaders... I, I think are facing a little bit more conflict than um, the, today than what they had been before. Maybe because mm, of the mm. pressure of all the lockdown. Like I'm speaking to some <laughs> pastors and they're saying, you know, there was stuff happening in our leadership teams. We didn't even know what was happening. Mm. So how mm -hmm. do leaders deal with that conflict quickly? Because that's one of the things you've mentioned mm. there. Deal with it quickly rather than mm. letting it drag on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said that. That's very perceptive because that is actually true. Now, if you go outside the church walls, obviously there's conflict out there now. Yeah. And it's a polarisation of views, isn't it? There's the polarisation. Before that it was the politics with Trump and all the rest, very polarising. Then we came into the COVID thing and you've got a polarisation there, how people believe that should be responded to, even yeah. in politics. Uh, you've got the Aussie New Zealand view and then you've got the European view. There's a, there's a poly And all of them say it's true. All of them say it's science. So we've got polarizations there. Now you bring bring down the well, you consider that that's already out there. By the way, can I say this? Those views were already causing conflicts for family, let alone church stuff. 
Yeah. So there was conflicts happening with, um, thankfully, in our family, we're pretty much on the same page on how this works. But even in, in my family, there's often times where, you know, if you go further with, I'm talking COVID or whatever, yeah, politics, yeah. You, you get into a conflict. So you have to pull back. Now, bring that down into church life and you have that going on, but at a different level. But it's all been set up for that to be some in some ways. Now, Jesus' view in Matthew 18, where he said, here's my four-step process to dealing with, with conflict, was a cultural norm. So to be fair, the churches that have followed the cultural norm built a very eye-to-eye culture, a very strong culture of let's take this early, let's, if there's a conflict, have actually survived it quite well. Yeah. The churches that haven't got the culture of uh, dealing with conflict like this are finding these, like, bombs going off all over the place and they actually don't know what to do about them. And, um, and, those, and those four items are? So think of those four uh, things Well, you Matthew 18, yep. face-to-face. Yep. Uh, uh, take a witness. Yeah. Uh, take it to the church. Oh, sorry. There's three actually there. Three. Um, the first one is the conflict itself. That's why there's four. Four for levels. bonus. The conflict four itself. for bonus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but it's good so for churches to be aware the, of the that. The first one's the con- yeah. The first one's the bonus. The uh, sorry. The first one's the conflict. Then the second one is eye to eye. Take a witness and then take it to the church or church leadership at least. So the four steps of it yes. is there. And, and I reckon this is amazing because the first the two times Jesus re- used the word church, one was the macro, <clears throat> I build my church. The second was the micro, hey, when you get together, you're going to argue a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and some, this is how you so, fix it. And some leaders are afraid of that, aren't they? And some leaders do oh, yeah. too much. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, no, that's a very normative thing. There's yeah. a lot of leaders who are the ostrich mentality on conflict, hide their head in the sand, hope it'll go away. And my friends, even in the best of times, that doesn't work. Um, so we we have to get quick. When we sit, look, conflicts are, conflicts don't just explode. They start with a fuse, a light yeah. and then a fuse. That's called the fuse conflict. And that is where something lights and the fuse burns. It can burn for months, years, and then it goes boom. So we deal with the boom instead of dealing with the fuse. Yeah, yeah, then there's good. what's called the root conflict, root and leaf conflict. Yeah. That is there's a root deep down and that's usually deep and often the heart of people. Paul talked about the root of bitterness and so on. Sometimes there's this value-based stuff going on. The leaves are growing up and then before long it becomes a weed and you discover there's a con- – so each conflict has these one of these two elements to it. But mainly it's the uh, light and fuse one. And what we should be as leaders is looking all the time for where a fuse has been lit and not waiting for the bomb to go off. Yeah. I I wonder just on that idea of the fuse, I wonder if some leaders just hope it'll go away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they they discover that things exploded in their face. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Once the fuse is going, it won't go away. And I think coming back to your earlier idea, Scott, was was to do with the, the fact that not just disciples, but leaders need some more backbone at the minute rather than a, a sense of fighting them to say, hey, we're going to go at this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not yep. all over. Jesus is still building his church, still happening. Whatever's going to happen in our world, Jesus will still build his church. And it's having, I suppose, that confidence in them to sort of step up and deal with the issues rather than pretend those issues don't exist. Because I think there's a lot of leaders out there, maybe they're even listening to this podcast and they're thinking, well, I've got an issue there, but I'm going to leave it and hopefully mm. it'll sort mm. itself out. My, my experience in leadership is 
they never sort themselves out. You've got to get them, and you've got to get them, as you say, as early as possible, because that helps to, to build the church rather than actually cause blockages in the church. So listen, I, I've been thinking a couple of other questions, really. One was around multiplication, actually. You know, like, you know, there, there's a lot of churches, uh, a little bit like ourselves, we, we are a multi-site church, more than one campus. Um, and I suppose other churches will be listening and other leaders will be listening. Do you, do you think that this model is for every church? Do you think every church leader should be thinking of multiplication? Yeah, that's a good question. And mm. I, I think the answer to that is a flat out yes, but then you've got to decide on what way you multiply, multiply, multiply yourself. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, just before you guys came on, I had a, um, a, a meeting with two churches in the country where they are getting approached by a lot of churches now, or not a lot, but some churches that are struggling during COVID and want to hand over okay. to them their church. So it's a form of multiplication. Um, and they want to know what to do about that one. Uh, then there's the campus ministry stuff going on where you plant new churches and extend all part of multiplication. My answer is pretty much this one. Multiplication that way, either campuses or taking over other churches or both, is brilliant if it happens and it comes and needs a bit of planning, of course. Yeah. need to do it right and we can't get into that now. But I'll, I will say this one thing. If you do not protect the heart of the resource church, the one that carries the load, in all of this, and, and it affects that heart, then I wouldn't try and do anything outside of that until that's very, very strong. Strong in the apostolic gifts, strong in the team, strong in sure. finances, strong in its buildings. And so sometimes a pastor is better to wait a little while and sow into the resource church. What I think the danger is sometimes we go, oh, the resource church, that's the number one church, is, is struggling a little. Oh, but here's an opportunity to do that over there. Well, actually, you're taking strength from strength. You're taking your strength to go and do something strong. Gotcha. Um, and that hurts. That can hurt. So you can mm. find you do that, and then the resource church gets hurt. So my opinion would be on this is multiplication that way you mentioned in the two ways I said, go for it. Nothing can end yeah. it. But better make sure your resource church is at its best and it's at its strongest because it will weaken that one, and that's not the one you want to have weakened. Yeah, no, good answer to that. And I think that will help people as, as they're listening to this podcast because, yeah, I think you're right. We all should be thinking about multiplication, whatever type of church we are, because it's it's the process of, of growth as well. And, and it just brings me around to this idea again of thinking of discipleship. Um, if, I, if I can draw out from you a little bit more, Scott, of this idea of the formal and the informal sense of discipleship because there is a lot of talk about discipleship at the minute and more so since we've hit COVID and lockdown all that sort of stuff people have seen the gaps where discipleship was missing they had a program but they didn't have a clear disciple making disciple process or environment what's your thoughts on that how, how, how do we how do churches go from being just formal programs to creating real disciples who then make disciples. What's your thoughts on that? If you could help a church there, maybe a leader's listening and they're thinking, I, I, I just want to see, see disciples becoming disciples, becoming disciples, the way Jesus talked about. Um, how do we do that? Because it seems to be more of a struggle, I think, in the West. Like if you talk to other leaders, I was talking to a leader in India last week, and, and it's just... They, they're doing it all the time. Disciples making disciples. You know, they'll sit with them, they'll disciple someone, they'll go and disciple somebody else. They seem to have got it right in those sorts of environments. But what about us here in Europe? How do we approach that? 
Oh, that's a good one again, and I think your Indian uh, story there is a good one because in those cases when an Indian, or sorry, when a person in those cultures become a Christian, the heart and drive of that person is to be discipled. In the Western society we live in, it's more I made a decision and that's not going to be enough for good. I already said that previously, so I won't do it again. Um, But you get my point. The starting point is the key. What are we starting with? Okay, the formal one we understand. That's all the stuff. That's programs, as you mentioned quite rightly. It's just a whole lot of programs we do. And we can tweak them. But the informal one is, is more about the interaction, as you said right there. They meet with them, they talk with them, and it's informal. Now, as I've asked lots of people, including in my own life, um, and I don't know about you or the listeners, but when I ask people, who mentored you when you were first year or two as a Christian? Most of them didn't have one. Wow. In fact, actually, most people I know um, that, have, that are in ministry today never can point to a mentor, and I'll tell you why, I believe, because that's not the idea of discipling, mentoring. It's a totally different thing. Yeah. What all of them say, including myself and maybe you, I don't know, is that we had a lot of people come in and out of our lives who redirected us, changed us. And this comes through, if you look at the gift set of Scripture, Apostolic Ephesians 4 and then Spiritual Gifts, 1 Corinthians and Romans 12. These gifts, I, sometimes you get a teacher come into your life who redirects you in your first formative years. They might have a coffee with you. They explain something in the word and suddenly you're discipled. You get somebody who comes along with hospitality or serving and they redirect you. And I think most people are influenced not by this one mentor, the Jesus model thing. In fact, actually, I, I'm sort of, I do not believe in following the Jesus model. Funnily enough, not one apostle did what Jesus did. Not one gathered 12 and went around the bush doing lectures. Actually, what they did was went out and changed the world. You would think after being with Jesus for 12, for three years, they'd follow the same pattern, but they didn't. And that's interesting. So yeah, yeah, that, what I think that, that, that is interesting. Was, yeah. That's, that's open that up well, a little he, bit. He gave the church spiritual gifts. Each person carries a spiritual gifts. I think the average person that's in Christ needs to be exposed to the the generosity of the Holy Spirit and spiritual giftings, such as leadership, administrate. They're not just there to do something. They're there to help people too. So when you look at the average punter who's managed to make it through, as I have 45, 50 years and others too, you find out these courses and stuff we did, they were great. They helped us get the formal thing. But actually people kept coming into our lives for a moment here and there. Some stayed a while. The Barnabases, if you like, with Paul. How did Paul get into church life? Barnabas. But then Barnabas went away. Demas was working with Paul. Uh, He Probably Paul was discipling him more, but Demas left him. People come and go, and it's watching for That's informal. So it's allowing people to come in and out of people's lives um, and developing a culture where that's natural and normal. Mm. Have them over to your house. You talk about things. Think of the people in church that have just great family, great kids. When you've got a young 25-year-old who's single, soon getting married, a marriage course is going to be great. But you put them in the home of a person who's got a couple of kids and a little ahead of them and let them watch for half an hour what that goes like, they're going to learn more that way. That's called informal discipleship. So it's all, all about sort of, um, we've been talking a little bit here in Icon Church, this idea of 
things are more caught than taught. And I think you're right on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, we yeah. need to get people in the sort of the atmosphere. Going back to that word you mentioned earlier, get them in the right atmosphere. But I think there's something powerful in that, in the sense of a lot of us are trying to go back to the Jesus model, and we are thinking about mm. that. So that that's very insightful, I think, Scott. In the sense of it's well, I yeah, it's just more than one person there, on that one. The G12 model came out many, many years ago. Yeah, yeah. And it was the full-on Jesus disciple model. And I was writing a book at the time, um, and I wrote in that book, the G12 model will not work, and yeah. it will not work, and it hasn't worked, and it doesn't work, and it's primarily because it's based on a false precept. That is that Jesus had it right. But here's the false precept. He had it right. We should copy that. But he didn't let his disciples copy that. In fact, he said, let no man be your teacher rabbi or master because I am divine so I'm perfect at being your rabbi teacher or master nobody else can we need interaction then from everybody else who carries divinity yeah rather than is divine and there's a big mm. difference between those two things so we need to think more of a multiple of um input from people rather than just the one yes. individual uh, and, and maybe that's a bigger no 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 I, well, no you have all of them you have all yeah, of yeah. them um, so you do the formal, you keep sending people yep. classes, but then you do the informal, which is the, inter so you keep beefing it up rather than just doing one thing. Um, yeah, the, but that's right. So you, you might have one person who does it. That's okay. But don't make that the solution to discipleship. We've got, everyone's got a mentor here in this church. So yeah. we're cool. You're not cool. You've just got a mentor. That doesn't mean a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, if you look at your life, I'm sure you know probably multiple numbers of people influenced who you are today, not one person. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, uh, To be uh, fair, who's even influenced by their pastor's preaching on Sunday? Yeah. They hardly, <laughs> they hardly do anything we ask them to do, so yeah. they forget the next day. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. let's, let's move on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's about that informal. I think there is something powerful about the informal. And I think a lot of churches were missing it. And, uh, yeah. and I think we need to encourage churches to be thinking of that, sort of to have the informal as well as the formal side of discipleship, have the programs. But actually, when you look at Jesus' example, whether we follow it completely, you know, Jesus was highly relational. And I think a lot of churches, mm. they talk about mm. being highly relational, but actually they're missing it. And I mm. wonder if we mm. focus Very on true. that idea, how can we be more highly relational then that yep. allows people then to connect in and to bring about church growth. Scott, you've shared and, some and great insights sure there. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, well, I add to that is not everybody carries everything that somebody needs. And the yeah. danger is to say, here's Fred, you go with Fred, is to say Fred knows everything and does everything. Actually, when you have a church of a couple of hundred people, every one of them has something to add. So there is not one person like that. There's multiple numbers of people like that. Fantastic. Anyway, Looks well, that, like our that, time is up. Yeah, that, that's been great. And uh, thanks for sharing with us today on the podcast. Any, any final sort of thoughts you want to add in before we wrap up today? No, I just encourage those who ha have chosen to listen to keep up the good fight, Paul talks about, um, the good fight of faith, not yeah. just the fight of uh, just, you know, those other types of fights, but the good fight of faith. And, and remember, this soon will pass because – how many can remember what March 2020 was like when we first locked down? Hardly any of us were now in this one. Yeah. And I'm telling you now, in 18 months, we won't even remember what COVID was. It'll be a distant thing. Yeah. We will be on to something else. So yeah. um, look forward. Don't keep hanging back. Let's keep moving forward. Church will be normalized yeah. with different challenges. 
yeah, future focused. Hey, so Scott, if people want to find you, where's the best place to connect with you? Maybe they, maybe it's a church watching. They want to find out maybe some of your books or they want to get your input into their church. How can they get hold of you? Okay, the easiest way is to the webpage, which is ICLM, which you have already mentioned, .dk, standing for Denmark. So ICLM.dk. Now, if you forget that, here's all you have to do. Scott Wilson, Denmark. Put it in the Google search engine. I come up, my webpage comes up pretty much first. So if you put Scott Wilson, Denmark in the Google, that's easy to remember. Anybody, it's like a calling card, isn't it? I don't carry one because I just say, oh, Google Scott Wilson, Denmark, and my webpage is there, then then you're right. If you contact me through that webpage, it comes directly to me so I can respond to you. Uh, out of that situation if you want. Brilliant, Scott. Well, hey, thanks for taking the time to be with us today on this podcast, the Church Explain podcast. We want to thank everyone for watching and listening. If you want to find out more information about this or about the show notes, head on over to the website. You'll find the details there. If you're on YouTube, you can subscribe and uh, you can get the information as that comes out. So, hey, thanks for being with us today on the Church Explain podcast. Thank you, Scott, for sharing some brilliant insights there on church growth. And we hope that it really helps all the leaders here listening.